Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 522 with Joe McCormick. Joe is talking about how to deal with the noise and bring your thinking and focus back. So you'll learn one, top three tactics for noise survival. Two, the problem with multitasking and what to do instead. And three, how to train yourself to say no. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F522. Now here's Joe's story. Joe McCormick founded and serves as managing director and president of The Sheffield Company, an award-winning boutique agency. He's a passionate leader who started The Brief Lab, a subsidiary of Sheffield, in 2013 after years dedicated to developing and delivering a unique curriculum on strategic narratives for U.S. Army Special Operations Command. He speaks at diverse industry and client forums on the topics of messaging, storytelling, change, leadership, and focus. So thanks to Joe for hanging out with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Joe. Joe, thanks so much for joining us here again on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great to talk to you again. Well, I'm excited to dig into some of your wisdom about noise, um, but maybe for I'll put you on the spot and say, what's perhaps the most fascinating and surprising discovery you've made about this stuff since we spoke last? For me, the most fascinating thing is that this is an issue that affects a lot of people. So just talking to people about the project, it elicits almost an immediate response of something that a lot of people are struggling with. Yeah. Digital distractions, interruptions, information overload, just being feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's certainly resonant. And so then I'd love to get your take then sort of how do we get here and, and what do we do about it? Well, my journey is I wrote a book called Brief, and that was all about the value of concise communication and being clear. And it was really targeted towards a professional audience of so people that communicate for a living. And the reason for that book was because you're talking to people that are they're all over the place. There's so many things competing for their attention. So as I was really promoting that book and teaching courses and workshops and webinars, it became really readily apparent that there's this issue that people were still struggling with, which is... How do you manage the noise or the inf the information overload? Obviously, being brief is one way, an adaptive strategy to deal with that, right? So if you're in a meeting and everybody's talking and they're not saying anything, if you're clear and concise, you break through. But it still begs the question, what are people's strategies to handle this as a day-to-day -day reality? One that's not getting better, it's just getting worse. 
Yes. Well, and so then I'd love to get your take then in terms of, do you have some research or, or, or data that, that paints the picture for, for just how severe this environment is now as compared to before? When you look at it, it's basically, it's a nonstop issue. So from the research that we've done, you know, 70% of the people in a survey that we did said the first thing they do in the morning and the last thing they do at night is check their phone. Mm-hmm. So you think about your first waking moment is technology and you're grabbing it as, as like, this is how I have to live my life. So that wasn't like that. People bought alarm clocks and that sort of need to be with technology all the time and information and constantly consuming it is becoming, I think, one of the big struggles. And people don't know it because it's very subtle, maybe incremental. It's just happening over the last decade. And a lot of people are talking about this and people feel helpless. Like, I don't know why I'm on edge all the time. And they feel like they're always on alert. They're always on call because they're tethered to it and they can't get rid of it seemingly. Mm -hmm. And that makes people feel helpless and they don't know why. Obviously, if you get up and the first thing you do is check your phone and you find out you have an email from your boss and it's not good. Well, you haven't even had a cup of coffee and you've already ruined your day. Yeah. And then they're taking the phone. So it's almost like you wake up at work and then you go to bed at work because people are bringing their you know technology with them everywhere they go. And that connectivity, it's like being on it's 24 seven. It's like, you never go home. Yep. Certainly. Yeah. Well, that'll, that'll do it. And, and so then I, I'm curious, uh, what is the beginning of the solution? It turns out that the only thing to stop this is first is to be aware that this is, this is an issue for a lot of people. They've lost the awareness that this is a problem. It's just a reality, mm-hmm. you know? So I live in this world and this is the way it is. And it's in it for younger people. It's just kind of like, that's, they were born in this reality. They don't know what another reality looked like. So the first thing I think is raising an awareness of, Hey, your brain is not an infinite device where you can just, it's like a battery that just goes on forever. It, it depletes. So people need to protect it. You know, attention is your most valuable resource where we spend our time thinking and what we're thinking about and what we're doing is at risk. People are being bombarded with information and they don't even know it. So I think raising the awareness is the first thing. The second thing that's related to it is I call this like noise management, but managing it as a skill that's critical to survive, certainly, but then to start thriving again, where you're not feeling you're you're on the defensive, you actually can do something about it. And I describe some of the things in the book as an old school solution to a new world problem. And a lot of those answers are required discipline and being intentional and starting to manage it. Like you manage anything, that's an issue. You don't let it manage you, you manage it and you take the upper hand. And I think that's the big point of the book is there are things that we can do to start managing these realities and get control back of our lives. And you've got a fun little abbreviations here, AM and FM for awareness management and focus management. Can you share with us uh, how do you think about these two phenomena and um, how do we build up these skills? Yeah. So if you think about the old school radio, right, you've got AM and FM, the frequencies, and there's a whole metaphor in the book about dialing in and what you tune into and what you tune out of and you set the channels. So AM is awareness management. This is how I manage my own awareness, my own attention. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's my personal responsibility to do this. Yeah. And focus management is once I start to do that, I can help the people around me help manage their focus. So if AM first starts with me and FM means I can be the force of helping other people improve their focus. And those are the two sort of the two 
frequencies in the book that we focus on. Start with yourself and then help other people. Okay, certainly. Well, so then what you've listed out some particular tactics in uh, a noise survival guide, uh, 10 of them. I'd love to hear a couple of those that you think offer sort of the best bang for your buck. They make a, a world of difference when you do them. I think for people, when you think about this issue and you think about how it affects people, the analogy I use is it's like having a diet of popcorn and Diet Coke. All right. So all day long, you're, you're feeding yourself on information. Most of that information is useless. Yeah. It's useless. I mean, if you look at like news feeds and social media feeds and people, what they do online, you're consuming information, which at the end of the day, doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah. If you shut it off for a day, your life isn't going to be that much worse. Yeah. So how do you fix it? Well, one is you have to define in your life, what's the most important thing for you? Because if you don't know what that is, then it's like you're trying to win the lottery. Yeah. You know, so you keep on looking for this magical answer to a question that you haven't asked, which is what matters to me. So the first thing is taking aim. And it starts with a real simple sentence, which is in my role, everybody's got different roles, you know, parent, brother, coworker, boss, leader, visionary, whatever your role is. People have, you know, play three to five key roles in their lives, maybe more. In my role is blank. The most important thing for me today is blank. Yeah. And I think people need to write that sentence every day. In my role as father, the most important thing for me today is to call my son. Nothing should get it in between that, me and that. Nothing. Nothing is more important than that. That's the most important thing. Always do the most important thing. But you have to define it. Because if you don't define it, something else is going to compete for it, your attention. So you have to take aim at that. That's the first thing. And I do that every day. And it's, it's an interesting exercise. The second thing is critical is scheduling quiet. So when you live in a noisy world, it's just, it's always noisy. There's always interruptions. There's always digital devices competing for my attention. There's always random thoughts. It's nonstop. When is it quiet? So what people do is they're like, well, when it's going to, when it's quiet, I'll, I'll enjoy it. And it never comes. So it's like, you know, the play waiting for Godot. Well, to ruin the ending, he doesn't come, <laughs> right? So quiet never comes. It only mm -hmm. comes if you schedule it. And it's, I look at this as scheduled, like non-negotiable. Yeah. Every day in the morning and in the afternoon, I schedule quiet time. It's a set amount of time and I do it no matter what. Yeah. Like I take a shower and I eat. I never say I'm so busy that I can't take a shower and I can't eat. In our lives nowadays, we have to schedule quiet time. That's the second thing. And that quiet time, I answer the question in my role is blank. The most important thing for me is blank. And then the third thing is whatever comes between me and that I say no to. Now it seems like people have to say yes to everything because they have to be accommodating, but there are many, many areas where people can say no. For example, an alert or notification comes on my phone. It's amazing how immediate my response is. Well, I'll just check it. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to check it right now. Yeah. Because I'm doing something else right now. If I do it, the research tells me that it's going to take me a significant amount of time to come back and regain that focus. So I have to start getting really comfortable with the word no. And that starts with myself. I'm not telling people to say no to everybody else, though that might be part of it. If a person interrupts you and they're like, you got a minute, you can say not right now, but I will in 15. Right. So you negotiate, you know, so you don't say yes to everything when it comes. And when those interruptions do come, we have to recognize them as something that is going to really weaken us, mm -hmm. really, really weaken us. So those are three things. Is All right, taking aim at the most important thing, scheduling quiet, and then really 
just saying no when they, when things comes and I think that empowers people. Hey, I can, I can do something to, to improve in this area. I can, I can be a force in managing this. And that's why I call it attention management or awareness management is I'm managing it. It's my job. Yeah. Understood. I like that notion. And so you said significant amount of time and I'm a sucker for the numbers. I've read a Microsoft study that suggested it could be 24 minutes. Uh, when folks just check their email real quick, <laughs> you know, for something and then try to return to what they're doing. Uh, what stats have you seen? They're all over the place. That could be a few minutes to nearly an hour of people regaining focus, their attention. But the issue is, is that we think that it, it takes just a nanosecond to regain attention. And the, and the research is, it's like resetting. It's got to, you've got to rebuild your mind. So it takes way longer than people think. Oh, so at least uh, at least a couple minutes and maybe uh, nearly an hour. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. So if, and if you think about the, the things that people are doing moment to moment in multitasking, right? And the research indicates that multitasking is not an efficient way of, of operating, right? Trying to do 10 things at once. My guide is do one thing well and then do the next thing. So when you're trying to do two things, you're depleting your attention. Now I'm doing three. It's like, you know, we're not, you know, acrobats in a circus where we're spinning plates. That's a skill for the rare person that can do five things at once. Most of us mere mortals struggle to do one thing well at once. So why are you trying to do two or three? So I think that we have to start saying no to some of those things because there's an allure that, hey, if my phone can do it, I can do it. Yeah, understood. Well, And, and so in that quiet time, uh, I'd love to get your take with the scheduling. What do you find in your own experience and in others who are utilizing this are some of the most sensible, appropriate times to really schedule that in and make it work well for the, for the day? I don't think there's a, a bad time or a, a good time. I think there just needs to be a time. So I liken it to like taking a shower. If you like taking a shower at night, that's really up to the person. What the, the issue is, it has to be scheduled and you have to approach it like an appointment that you don't miss. The issue is, is not when, the issue is how do you handle it? And it's scary for people. So the people listening to right now are like, all right, that sounds great. I'm going to do it. So when you sit down for five minutes and it's quiet, it's really noisy yeah. because you're, you're not prepared for it. So you have to get used to it. You have to build up. It requires day after day to do this because it's a need. It's not a nice to have. It's a need to have. And the first times you do it, it's hard because it's really, really weird. You're sitting there. It's just quiet. So what I've devised are just some suggestions of things to prepare. So when it comes, you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, how would you use, if I gave you 10 minutes of quiet, how would you use it? It's like listening to podcasts. You don't, in the moment, like I want to listen to a podcast, you curate the podcast. People set your podcast, they subscribe to it, they're ready for it. They, they come to listen, they're ready to go. Just drive your car around, start looking for podcasts, you'll crash. <laughs> so you have to prepare before you get in the car. Same thing for quiet. Think, what am I going to do in this time of quiet? And I came up with categories. There's, you can come up with an infinite number of them. One is nothing. Yeah. Just, just don't do anything. Just uh -huh. let your mind wander. And there's there's a lot of books and research that say it's good and healthy. Let your mind wander and not focus on anything. Another one is, might sound funny, but complain. Instead of complaining all day long, silently in my head, I'm just going to give myself five minutes to complain or plan or read or be thankful. We're going, Thanksgiving is a big day, right? For a lot of people, write a list of things. If you have a tough life that you're thankful for. I'm thankful for shoes, electricity, uh, my job. I'm thankful for a car, the car that, whatever you're thankful for, just write a list for five minutes, 10, and just come up with an activity and then do that for a set amount of time. And don't try to be good at it. Just do it. Mm -hmm. It's not, this isn't a contest. This is like 
you plug in your device to recharge it. This is the recharging of your brain. And in, in connected to that is sleep. Get a good night's sleep. Go to bed on time, wake up on time. Don't go to bed when you're done and wake up when you feel like it. <laughs> it's all part of quiet. It's like your brain needs to restore itself. It's under attack all day long. You need seven to eight hours of sleep. And the research tells like high schoolers and college students, they don't get nearly enough sleep. Yeah. And they're on their phones all day long. This is, this is a bad combination. Really bad. Certainly. Well, so you've, you've laid that out there well. And, and I'm curious, in terms of you schedule the quiet time, you've got a plan. It's curated for what goes down. And one of the biggest things is you establish, you know, in my role is blank. Uh, the most important thing is blank. Maybe I could put you on the spot. For today, what did you come up with in terms of these, these critical sentences? Funny you ask. And you're not putting me on the spot because I do this every day. There's three big things that I, I did. One is I prepared for this podcast. All right. Thank you. That was the first thing because it's an important thing. I've written a book and I need to explain it. So I need to prepare. The second thing that I did was I texted my kids. I've got kids in college and they're always moving around and, and I travel as well. So I'd like to stay connected to them and let them know that I'm thinking about them. A very close family member overseas, uh, my brother-in-law's mom passed away. So I, I prayed for her because I just found out she passed away. And I had a meeting with a startup, which was some guys in special operations that have retired and started a, a new business. And we were talking about their company and their vision. And, and I was helping them with that. So those were categories. And I do that every day. And sometimes it's hard to come up with what's the most important thing and, and not have it be just a, a to-do list. But it really, the, the reason I do it is because it orients my day. Mm. It gives my day an orientation. So th these are things that like, you ever go through a day and it's just a blur? Yeah. These make the days less of a blur mm -hmm. because there's like, it's like taking a trip and you're like, okay, I'm going to get to this first destination and then another one. You go through it. These are, they're moments. I call it like, these are your big moments. And they don't have to be big in terms of size, but they're significant in their own right. They're significant. And you treat them as such and, and it makes the days more purposeful and more intentional and less like, oh, it's 10 o'clock at night. I don't know what I did. Yeah. I can't remember. Like, it's not just today. It's like I go back for a week a month. And I can't remember anything. My day is just, a, the whole thing is just a complete, like I'm in my life, but I don't remember any of it. And that helps, it helps orient the day towards those things. And I think for me, it's been extremely helpful to do that. And I'd like to suggest other people do the same. Absolutely. And, and just to be able to feel like a winner in, in terms of, okay, I had a uh... I don't know, hundreds of potential to-do items uh, landed my world and I did 40 of them. Is that good? I don't know. But as opposed to when you've established, all right, in my role as this, the most important thing is that. And I you, you do those things, you say, all right, that feels good. You know, you can feel victorious uh, with the day and uh, ready to take on the next one. You're absolutely right. There was a book, uh, actually a speech that was given by Admiral McRaven. And this should make recall he was the head of joint special operations command and then he he gave a speech at the university of texas and the point of the speech was the first thing that you need to do every day is to make your bed so he yeah. he wrote a book about this and what struck a lot of people was when he said that his point was it's start your day with the success and even if your day is a complete failure when you come home at night this is brilliant and you see that you did the first thing well your day would not have been a total disaster. Yeah. And it's funny because when I was a kid, my dad would always tell us when you wake up, get up. And when you get up, make your bed. And McRaven's, he wrote a whole book about making your bed. And I think the most important thing, do the most important thing. 
always do the most important. Then it begs the question, well, what is the most important thing for me? And I think for people that's revealing. And once you see it, sometimes it's not something too far away. It's like, Hey, I got to make my bed or I got to call this person back or thank a person, whatever, do it, do that. And you'll feel like you're, you're making progress in your life because you're doing the most important thing and not, not forgetting that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's dead on. And so when it, with, let's talk about roles for a second. I, I mean, I, I imagine we could generate potentially dozens of, of roles and, and names for them. What what are some of the, the biggies that come up again and again for you and clients? Yeah, I mean, you have your role as leader, subordinate. I mean, everybody's got a boss. You can go to different characteristics like visionary, helper. You can go to partner. You can go to friend. You can go to brother, sister, parent, neighbor. I mean, there's just things of how you relate to people and how people know you. And then you come up with these titles, these roles. There usually aren't that many. I mean, these are the common things that this is who you are during the day. Mm -hmm. So you think about your role, like during the day, it's not like to create schizophrenia. That's not the point. The point is, is that I'm not just a professional. I'm also outside of work. I'm a person. I have responsibilities. I have needs. And then you define those things and it gets clear. Okay. Well, who am I today? And what am I doing? And what are the expectations for me? Where what's important? And once those get defined, it brings a lot of clarity and actually brings a lot of the noise down because I'm not, I'm clear, like in this moment right now, I'm not trying to be a father. I'm trying to be an author of a book and you're the host. You're not the host and uh, an investment banker, even though that might be something you would do. So I just, it gives people clarity about like, try not to be, do 10 things at once, be who you are in that moment. And I think it helps people kind of, you know, settle down a little bit and not be so scattered. Yeah. You have a fun turn of a phrase, weapons of mass distraction. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of those and, and what do we do about them? I think if you just look at your life, there are all a smartphone starting with, and I love smartphones. I mean, what's not to love about them? It's got, it's the source of all information. There's nothing you can't do with it practically, except maybe shave and feed yourself, you know, so it does everything. So if you look at these devices, there's a nearly infinite amount of things that you can, it's almost been weaponized. I can, I can do this. I could do that. I could navigate. I could check my phone alert. I mean, everything. And, and that goes from screen to screen and tablets and, and all that. So it's just, if you look at it as, as almost a threat and a reward, but it's both, it can be helpful, but it can also be very, very damaging at the same time. And it has to be managed as such that it's not like, if you look at people bring their, their phone to bed, mm-hmm. it doesn't belong in bed. Yeah. It belongs at a table in another room, put it in another room. Buy an alarm clock. I'll tell you a funny story about that. I, I used to use it as an alarm clock. Well, what happens is, what's is I use it as an alarm clock, but then I then I want to check something. And next thing you know, I'm online, and two hours later, I don't know what I'm doing. So I put it in another room, and I bought an old school alarm clock. So we just the clocks just changed a few weeks ago. I don't have my phone to automatically update. I need to remember to change the clock. This is pretty old school, right? So I've got an alarm clock. It sits six feet from me and I didn't change the time. So I get up, set the alarm, wake up. It's on a Sunday. I got a church. I go there. There's nobody there. Oh, wow. There's just, there's, <laughs> no, it's funny. There's, there's an old lady sitting there and then there's a guy sitting in the back and it was kind of cold. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe people didn't want to come because it was kind of cold. I mean, I just said this in my head. So I sit there and then this old lady she comes up to me and she's like, where is everybody? And I'm like, I-, I don't know. Maybe it's cold. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, the clock's changed. I'm using an alarm clock. 
my iPhone did tell me. Oh, I guess that's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> I sat there for an extra hour. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I had built in quiet time. I had another hour of it. Certainly. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. Like, what, My kids are like, what did you do? And I'm like, I just sat there. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? It's the worst places to be. Right? Oh, certainly. <laughs> Nifty. Well, so uh, understood. So so the phone is, is uh, one of them. And what else? Random thoughts. Yeah. In the book, Brief, and also in noise, there's this term that we use called the elusive 600. And basically, the research tells us that our brains are great processors. So they process, let's say, at a rate of about 750 words per minute. So this is conscious and subconscious thinking, how fast you can think. People can speak about 125 to 150 words a minute. So if you take 750 words per minute processing minus 150 words per minute speaking, you have about 600 extra words. That's what the brain is thinking while you're talking and thinking while you're listening. And we call that, we've given it a name. It was given by a a friend of mine, Sharon Ellis, and it's called the elusive 600. So in that, those are the thoughts that go through my mind all day long. Yeah. Now, if you think about this, when you're listening to somebody or, or you're talking to somebody, or you're just talking to yourself, you're just walking from thing to thing. What are we saying to ourselves while we're doing that? And you look at like conversations that go bad. So one of the things we talk about in the book is listening. I call it present listening because you have to be in the moment and give listening as a gift. So I'm not, I have no agenda. I'm just listening like you're listening. So in the moment, thoughts can pop into my head. And if you're a bad listener, I, I can't listen to that thought right now. I have to just ignore it. I have to stay focused. So random thoughts, negative thoughts, useless thoughts, thoughts that are just not they're not timely thoughts like, oh, I'd love to check the score of the game. Well, I'm right in the middle of writing somebody's evaluation. That's not a good time to go check a sports score. Like the quality of that evaluation is going to be in great part how much concentration and focus I gave it. But if a thought pops into my head, it doesn't even have to be prompt by technology. I'll just, it's amazing. People just stop what they're doing, go up and do something else. And the example I use is like, if you're in an office, walk from one side of an office to another to do something and see what people do along the way. They'll be like going to the copy machine to get a copy. And then they stop to do this. And then and it's all random thoughts. Stay focused. What are you getting a copy? I just did this today. I'm getting a copy. And then I go and get a cup of coffee. It's like, no, get the copy. Then you it like train yourself to just like shut down these thoughts that are just tempting, but I I don't need them right now. Say no. And that's, I think it's not technology. It's my head. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the shut down, say no. What is the answer to untimely thoughts? There's maybe that's a big question. Many meditation teachers have wrestled with for millennia. I think there's a powerful word. It's called no. So this is a fun exercise to do with, with people is people have got bucket lists or things they would love to do. So let's say, okay, a person's goal is to like, I want to climb a mountain or something like that. So they tell people, that's my dream in life. And then another person asks them, hey, I've got free tickets to go to do this. And you're just like, no, no, just keep on saying no. Like there's a power to the word no. Say no to things that are irresistible. No, because there's a power to it. When you hear a person say it, it's powerful. Would you like to go to the game tonight? No, I can't. I have something else to do. We don't use that word enough. It's a very simple but powerful word. Say it out loud. It sounds very powerful. It's like, no, people feel bad about it, but it's there's a power in it that we have to say to our, I think starting with ourselves, and I'm not encouraging people to walk around to tell their workmates and their colleagues, no, all the time, <laughs> because that would be anarchy. But if I start with myself, 
Like, all right, if this is the most important thing, then the other things are second and third level. Of, I'm just going to have to say no to things. And I say it out loud and it becomes a habit, a very powerful one at that. And people who are successful do this all the time. So there's nothing new about this. This is an old school answer to a new world problem. But this new world problem presents itself as an irresistible problem. Like, I can't say no. Well, we have to learn to or relearn to say no. And this is why I call it attention management. I'm managing my attention. If I don't manage noise, it's going to manage me. So who's in charge is going to be the really the point here. Am I working for it or is it working for me? Well, Joe, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think for people, it's like, I think a lot of people struggle with this. It's not just a, it's a, it's certainly a big work thing where there's so many things competing for our attentions, but it's really, this competes in all facets of your life. So it might be discouraging or difficult for people. And I just want to tell people that there are very small, simple things we could do every day to regain what we've lost. And we lost it. It wasn't entirely our fault because these things are very alluring. So I just, I want to encourage people that like you have within your ability right now to be able to change the dynamic from moment to moment. And it's not impossible. All right. Well, then now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My father was a huge impact in my life. And and one of his quotes was do something, even if it's wrong. And he would always qualify, not morally wrong or legally wrong, but just his impetus was just do something. Just don't stand around waiting and thinking, just you know, keep on moving, keep on doing something, which is one of my favorite quotes from him. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? The Elusive 600 that I mentioned before was shared. I don't know exactly where the original research came from, but it came from a woman, a consultant. And what I love the most about it is it gives a word or a name to a reality that people live with, and now they have a name for it. They're like, oh, that's my Elusive 600. And I've taught our courses at the Brief Lab for now you know, over seven years. And that term has got a stickiness to it. And I I owe a lot to that uh, consultant who shared that with me. And how about a favorite book? One of my favorite books is, it's the book is called Isaac's Storm. And it's a book about a hurricane that hit Galveston in 1900. And it's a, it's a really, it's tragic part of history, but there's, it was a storm that nobody knew was coming. And we look at today, like everybody knows in advance what bad things are going to happen. It's like predicting the future. And this was a a story about the technology and the science was advancing, but it wasn't quite there yet. And nobody knew. And it's, it's a tragic story, but it's one about like, you know, our world is imperfect. And no matter how much technology we think we have, we're always a little bit behind. (laughs) And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with listeners and clients? They repeat it back to you. Well, in the work that we teach at the Brief Lab, one of the, the big ones we do in in the world of being clear and intentional as a communicator is give me the headline. People always love that because it's, it just, it's intuitive. It's, it makes sense. It doesn't require a lot of training. It's like, I'm going into a meeting. What's the headline? People are giving you an update. What's the headline that it's stealing this page from journalism school somehow. And and it gives people a sense of clarity and purpose when they talk that I, I just, to this day, I just love when people get that concept and use it because it makes them so much easier to understand. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Go to thebrieflab.com, and we have resources there. There's uh, You could download two free chapters of the noise. Um, we have tools that people can use. There's a, a treasure trove of resources. We teach elite military organizations and corporate leaders and teams not only how to be concise communicators, but now with noise, how to be clear thinkers. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. When you look at your Outlook, your phone for maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning, 
look at your calendar and say, well, where's the quiet time that I've scheduled for myself? How long does it last? When does it start? When does it end? And hold to it. All right. Well, Joe, this has been a lot of fun. I wish you lots of luck in managing the noise and enjoying all the fun that comes with having that handled. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated Joe's take on, in my role as blank, the most important thing I need to do is blank. There you have it. It reminds me a bit of that one thing question with Jay Papazan. We recently represented some of his good stuff in that there is one thing that will make a huge, big old difference and it can make everything else easier and or unnecessary. And so if you zero in on that by role, that's pretty handy. So thanks, Joe, for that. Hope you dug it and more. The show notes, the transcripts, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F522. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Kyra Bobinette. She's got a bundle of insight into habits, how they are formed. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.